0: God, It is indeed the main course here in our church. Uh, other churches may have the Bible as an appetizer or even dessert, but for us, it is the main course. And so we want to know what God has to say. John chapter 3, notice what the scriptures say here in verse number 1. Familiar passage of scripture and a simple message this morning. John chapter 3 and verse number 1. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water. This is a physical birth. And of the spirit, that is a spiritual birth. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Verse number six defines that. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your many blessings that you've given to us We're grateful for the opportunity that we have to gather together around your word. And I pray that you would use your word, Lord, in our lives. I pray that you would use your word to direct us in the decisions that we have to make in our life. And Lord, I pray that if there is an individual here this morning who has not made the most important decision of their life, and that is to be born again. I pray, Lord, that you would work in their hearts and in their lives, give them no rest until they trust in you. So, Lord, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts. I pray that you would bind Satan and his demons, that your word would fall on good ground, that it would spring up and grow in our hearts and in our lives, and that it would bear fruit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage of Scripture, of course, is dealing with a conversation between the Lord Jesus Christ and a man named Nicodemus. And the Lord says very plainly throughout the text that he has come to provide salvation for all. You know, the matter of salvation is of vital importance to every person under the sound of my voice this morning. Of course, I would say that it is uh, indeed of utter importance to the entire world. You see, what we do with the gospel will determine where we spend eternity. Now, Jesus describes for Nicodemus how he could be born again, how he could be a Christian. We think about that terminology today, Christian. It's very watered down in our society. I I love the terminology born again, born again, how you can be born again, how you can be saved. Nicodemus came to God, he wanted to know about the kingdom of God. In John 3 and in verse 17, Jesus tells us that he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that he came into the world that they might be saved. I want to park it there for just a moment, that terminology there, saved. I I think that's important. We can be saved. The word saved is Uh, It it comes from the Greek word, which literally means, of course, to keep safe, to be saved, uh, to rescue from danger, or to rescue from destruction. Now, if we think of that idea this morning, to be saved, how does it relate to our souls? Why Why do our souls need to be saved? Why do we need saving today? I read a report of a man who was heading wayward in his life and um, he got involved with the wrong crowd. He started to take drugs and his family was really concerned about him. And so they all came together and they were trying to help him. And as they sat him down and talked with him about his condition, his direction, the response that he had was simple, I don't need savings. I don't need saving. You know, it's hard to save someone if they don't realize they need saving. And the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all of us are sinners today. This includes each of you. This includes this preacher. All of us are sinners. And when we come to the world, we arrive with a a death sentence. Romans 6.23 teaches us that the wage of our sin is death And Romans 5.12, the Bible says, By one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And because of the very fact that we are sinners, it means that we are also separated from God. And therefore, we need to be saved today. You see, if we die in our sin, we will spend eternity separated from the presence of God. Of God, and no thinking person wants that to happen. God doesn't want it to happen, God wants us to be saved. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Now, Nicodemus wanted to know how to be saved, he wanted to know how to enter the kingdom of God. I, I want to take a moment here and, and kind of give you a background of this man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. Uh, I think a comparable today would be to be a senator or, or uh, to be, a, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And so he was a high official uh, within the Jewish culture. The Bible says also that he was a Pharisee. It means that Nicodemus was a religious man. He uh, tried to approach God by keeping the law and the rituals of the Jews, uh, he was a master in Israel. The Bible says in John chapter 3 in verse number 10, it, it means that uh, Nicodemus held a, an official position of one of the highest ranks, that he was either a, a leading official or he was uh, a leading teacher in Israel. Uh, as we study the life of Nicodemus, we realize that Nicodemus was apparently a, a wealthy man. In John chapter 19 The Bible says that Nicodemus spent a great deal of money uh, on the burial of Jesus. Now, Nicodemus was silent at the trial of Jesus, uh, saying nothing to defend the Lord, but he boldly stepped forth after the Lord's death and resurrection. And we read about that in, and again, John chapter 19. Now, the Bible also says that Nicodemus came on behalf of other people and also also, on behalf of himself. Now, we don't know if that was friends or family or other Pharisees that looked at the life of the Lord Jesus, but as we think about what the Bible says about Nicodemus, he responds by saying, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. And so there were others that kind of sent him as a representative to find out who this man Jesus is. Now, the Bible also says that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And so he apparently was afraid of the other leaders who opposed Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 19, as John mentions Nicodemus, this is also mentioned of his fear. The Bible says in John 19 verse 39, and there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night. And so Nicodemus was afraid. And he comes to Jesus uh, at night, and he acknowledges Jesus as a teacher from God. He saw the miracles that that Jesus had performed, and he knew that no one could do what Jesus did except God uh, be with him. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus. In, In essence, he's asking Jesus a question. He's saying, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Nicodemus was seeking for truth. He wanted to know truth. I was talking to a man several years ago in this very building. A man was working here. I was a contractor and doing some work, and I gave him the gospel, and he was telling me about what he had believed about evolution. And uh, he made this statement that I will never forget. He said, listen, if I could have been there when Jesus was resurrected I would believe. If I would have been there with Jesus and his teaching and to see his works, I would believe. And I thought it was ironic for someone to say this as he believes that the world was created by nothing, by a big bang, by chance, and I don't believe that he was present when the world was created either. And so he really does reveal his faith, but his faith was in the wrong thing. And here Nicodemus steps out, and he wants to know what the truth is. He wants to know what the truth is. I think we can learn some things from this passage of Scripture. Let's begin, if we could, by understanding God's promise of salvation. God's promise of salvation. The Bible says in John 3, in verse number 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus told Nicodemus that if he wanted to see the kingdom of God, if he wanted to see heaven, then there was a divine necessity that had to take place. Now, understand when Jesus is speaking here, he's not giving an option or a suggestion. He's giving to us a divine necessity. And this divine necessity is simple. Jesus said, Nicodemus, if you want to be with God, then you must be born again. His spirit had to be made alive because he was dead in his sins. Now this indeed is a wonderful promise that we find in the Bible. It's an old promise. In the beginning, when God made Adam and Eve in his image and Adam decided to sin against the Lord, God made a promise in the Garden of Eden. And we can read about that all the way back to the book of Genesis in the third chapter in verse 15. And God's promise was simple. It was this, he would provide a means of salvation through the seed of the woman. But think about this, God's plan of salvation goes even further back than the Garden of Eden. In Revelation 13 in verse 8, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And Peter takes it even a step further. He says in 1 Peter 1.20, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. These verses tell us that before there was ever a sinner to save, before there was ever a sin to cleanse, the Lord had already formulated a plan to redeem sinners. This is the heart of God, folks. God has given us a promise. He wants to save us. I heard the story of a man who had worked his entire life, he worked hard his entire life, and he saved all of his money. And uh, he had become a real miser. He he didn't want to share his money with anyone, and he didn't even want to share his money with his wife. And just before he died, he asked his wife to put all of his money in the casket with him uh, when he was buried. And And his wife was a good wife, and she had promised to do so. And so after the funeral was all over, and just before the casket was sealed, his wife put an envelope into the casket and And she turned away, and a close friend uh, who had been present when the husband had made that selfish request asked the wife if she thought she should reconsider her actions uh, by putting all of his money in the casket, to which the wife responded, I cannot break my word. So I wrote him a check. (laughs) (laughs) The reality is God always keeps his word, and God always keeps his word completely. You know, in the New Testament, there are glorious glimpses of the promise of God to save. Let me read some for you. Isaiah 43, 11, I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Isaiah 45, verse 22, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. God has always been a God who is willing to save. It's an old promise, but also it's an ongoing promise while god's promise is older than the world and even older than us and humanity there is still power behind the promise that god made you see the promise of salvation is as valid today as it has ever been god will still save god is still willing to save I love what the Bible says in John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever... I love that word. It still rings true today. That whosoever, if we call upon the name of the Lord, he will save us today. No matter your past, no matter your background, no matter where you've come from. Listen, God is willing to save. Whosoever, that includes me, that includes you. It is an ongoing promise but it is also an open promise. You see, God's promise of salvation is not limited to a select few. It is a promise that is offered to all. The Bible says, "'And the Spirit and the bride say, come, "'and let him that heareth say, come, "'and let him that is athirst come.'" and whosoever will let him take of the water of life freely. God would never say come if we were incapable of doing so. No, it is an open promise. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This promise is for you today. You can be saved. But number two, as I think of this passage of Scripture, I think not only is there a promise to save, I think also there is God's power to save. God's power to save. God is capable and willing to save us. Let's look at this incredible text again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son just how does God go about bringing people unto himself? Now, here's the answer in John 3.16. It is by his son, by his son. You see, the answer is the son of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we notice in this passage of scripture, in this wonderful verse, that God has the power to convert the sinner, when a sinner places his or her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, God does a work of grace so powerful in their life that this this transformation cannot be explained in human terms, terms. Things so profound in spiritual nature takes place that it truly boggles the mind. Let me give you a couple. First of all, all of our sin is immediately and completely forgiven. Now, that's an incredible thought. We are sinners separated from God, and to be born again is to be in Christ. And it means that God no longer sees our sin, but God sees his son. And though we are not righteous people, we are declared righteous on the merits of God's son and God's son alone. The Bible says this in Psalm 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from me, and the east and the west they never meet. They never meet. I mean, this expression here is profound, that our sin is separated. God forgives those sins, and they are completely gone. Isaiah thirty-eight seventeen. Behold, for peace I have great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sin behind thy back. The Bible says in 1 John verse, uh, chapter 1 and verse 7 that if we confess our sin, that he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of that sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and God for all eternity will never bring up our sin again. It is gone it is washed away, it is behind his back, it is buried in the deepest sea. We become not only cleansed, but we become a child of God, a child of God. Romans teaches us that we were God's enemy and now we become God's child. Isn't that an incredible transformation? Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We become a child of God. We become delivered from our sin. And when we talk about being delivered from our sin, we're talking about the full picture today. We're talking about being delivered from the power of sin, Romans 6, verse 14. We're talking about being delivered from the penalty of sin, Romans 5 and verse 9 and Romans 8 and verse 1. And we're talking about being delivered from one day, the presence of sin, Revelation chapter 21 and verse 27. But the Bible doesn't end there. The Bible also says that the sinner becomes a joint heir with Christ. Look what the Bible says, Romans 8, verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified. Together. In Christ we are saved. In Christ we are delivered. But in salvation, not only do we receive, receive a sonship, but also we receive an heir or a, or a great sonship. All that belongs to Christ will also belong to us. And we receive glory and riches, I'm told, because we are in Christ. And as long as Jesus lives, We will also live. And the Bible says in the book of Revelation that Jesus is alive forevermore. This is what we receive when we are born again. And this is beyond our human comprehension. But I want to end with this thought here. Not only do we receive all these wonderful things, but we also receive a home in heaven. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. we have a wonderful home in heaven waiting for us where we will dwell with Christ forever. He has the power to convert a sinner, but he also has the power to conserve the saint. You see, not only does God have the power to convert sinners, but he also has the power to keep them saved forever. The Bible says we are kept by the power of God. And I want us to understand in John 3.16 here, the importance and the sentence structure of this incredible verse. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's two important truths here we have to understand. And the first one is not perish. And the second is to have everlasting life. You know, even the word saved loses all power and meaning if the saved uh, one is still in danger of being lost. If I can lose my salvation before I get to heaven, then I cannot be saved until I get to heaven. And contextually, John 3.16 is not talking about when we get to heaven. Contextually, John 3.16 It's talking about when we believe, we receive eternal life. And when we believe, we will not perish. When we believe, we shall have a wonderful salvation. Because we are in Christ. Let me give you my third point, and I'll be done this morning. Let's think about God's provision to save. God's provision to save. Back in our text here, for God so loved the world, now here it is, that he gave. You know, when we think about the love of God, it's that Greek word that's used, the agape love. And in the English language, love is so watered down, we use love for everything. You know, we talk about loving pizza, and in the same lips, we talk about loving God. And we talk about loving, you know, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And in our same lips, we talk about loving our wife. And, and, and it's just such a watered-down word today, the word love. But in the Greek language, it had so many more layers. And, and love had meaning for loving our wife and loving our brother and a sensual love. And it also had a meaning for a sacrificial love or God's love. And that love is the agape love. And the Bible says that God agape loved us. That's that selfless, sacrificial love. But it wasn't just the Bible doesn't say that God loved us or loved the world. It says that God so loved, he he had to add add an adverb in there. And an adverb tells you how much or how many. How, How much did God love us? He so loved us that he gave of his only begotten. And that, that phraseology there, begotten, is, is it, it talks about of, him, of himself, that Jesus is God, begotten of himself, that, that God loved us so much, don't miss this, he loved us so much that he gave himself to us, that God became a man, and he entered the sin cursed world, and then he died. And and not just he humbled himself to die, but he humbled himself in the way that he died. He died the way of the cross. And he shed his blood so that we could have eternal life. This is how much God loved us. He loved us. The selfless, sacrificial love. And you say, what does it mean? It means that he provided a precious substitute. You know, when Adam sinned in the garden, humanity fell under the curse of sin. And for a man to be redeemed, for a person to be redeemed, a person had to die. But not just any life would do. The one who died would have to be a perfect man, one without sin. And God, knowing our need... And and this is important, God knowing our inability to save ourselves That's why I'm so conflicted when someone says, well, I'll just work my way to heaven. Then why did Jesus have to die? Then why did he have to go to a cross? If, If you can do it yourself, if your sacrifice is enough, then why did Jesus have to die? The problem was it wasn't enough. Our inability to save ourselves is why Jesus came. He came to save us from ourselves. The Bible says this in Romans 5, 6. Listen as I read. For when ye were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man would one even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us. And that why we were yet sinners, when you were unlovable, when you were the very enemy of God. You know, Christians struggle with, you know, their relationship with the Lord. Don't you know that when you were at your very worst, God sent his son to die for you? That's the love of God. And the Bible says that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, you may not understand this this morning, but when Jesus died on the cross, he died in your place. Not only did he die for you, don't miss this, he died as you. He died as you. He was your substitute. I deserved to die on the cross. The wage of my sin is death. But Jesus bore the very consequences of my sin upon himself. And on the cross, he became the perfect substitute dying for me. And so Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, the Lord Jesus was a precious substitute, but he was also a perfect sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. Someone said when Jesus was on the cross, his death and sacrifice was sufficient to provide for the saving needs of the entire world. He gave himself once for all, that we might be able to be free from the grip of sin and that we might be able to experience God's perfect salvation, which is available through the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the perfect sacrifice. And friend, listen to me. That perfect sacrifice, it never has to be redone and it never has to be topped up. It is once for all. And you can be a part of that today if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1 verse 18, for as much as we know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, not silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but how are we saved? Well, Peter says, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The perfect sacrifice. The perfect sacrifice. But also he provided a plan of salvation. This plan is clearly given to us in John 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus did not say you have to be baptized. Except a man be baptized. Except a man be a good person. Except a man join a church or be a part of a particular denomination. Except a man be a nice person in their life. No, Jesus said, Nicodemus, this is the divine necessity. If you want to enter my kingdom, then you must, you must, non-negotiable, you must be born again. The only way to get to God is through Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, him, his only begotten son, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And this is offered to all today, to everyone. I recently read a story of a a big lump of something lay for centuries in a shallow pool in North Carolina. And people passing by that area saw that ugly lump that was there and they walked by it several times, just not thinking anything of it, not spending any time on it. And one day a poor man saw that, that heavy lump and he thought that it would make a, a good door holder or a, uh, it would make a, a good... Way for him to hold open his door. And so he decided to take it home. A few years after that, some scientists were in the area and they noticed it sitting by the man's door and they stopped to take a a closer look at it. And after a long time, they identified that lump as the biggest piece of gold ever found east of the Rockies. Now, a lot of people, they look at the Bible or they look at the Lord Jesus and they They will say, well, yeah, I believe that Jesus is a historical figure. Some will say, yeah, I believe that Jesus was a good teacher. Others will say, yeah, I believe that Jesus was probably a a prophet. But friend, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is more than all of those things. He is God, and he died for you. And you can have life today, and you can be free from the penalty of your sin. You can be saved today if you believe you need saving through Jesus Christ. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a wonderful promise. It's an old promise, but it's available for you today. God, help us. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And we're grateful.